Welcome to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. This is a space for community, healing, hope, and education around topics of rescue and growth. Our prayer for this series is that it illuminates a deeper understanding of struggles within and around us, as well as God's profound love and redemptive light in Jesus Christ. Hi, I want to welcome you to our Deep Light podcast. My name is Mark Davis. I serve as one of the pastors at Park City Presbyterian Church, and we welcome you. We're very excited uh, that we're in this series on what it means to deal with brokenness, um, the fall, mental illness, mental health, all those kinds of things. Over the past few weeks, uh, we've heard from uh, Pat Hoban, who's the Director of Counseling and Care at our church, as well as Dr. Andrea Kim. And today we have two lovely ladies with us, uh, Barb Mullen and Sadie Morgan, who have known a long time, who have been members of our church um, really since the beginning Mm -hmm. as a little, little baby and as a young woman as well, right? Okay. Um, Before we start, I want to just say a couple things. We're doing this podcast because we want to hold out the person Jesus Christ. Um, Christianity is not really uh, primarily a worldview. It is, a, it is that, but it's more. It's about having a relationship with the living God. And our deep desire is for you to experience the transforming presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know as followers of Christ that we, even though we're saved, we still struggle with so many things this side of heaven. And we want you to know as you're watching this that you're not alone, um, that there is a true hope in Christ. And that whatever you're struggling with, um, whether it's things you'll hear today or, or things that are a bit different, we want you to know you can find hope in him. And it's our deep desire that you would understand that and know how much he loves you. Um, I'm going to ask that um, as you listen to these stories, you realize that these are not uh, finished uh, realities. They're two sisters, one brother, who are continuing to walk through life. And God's so faithful to do so many things for us. Yet this side of heaven, we continue to experience the realities of the fall and that brokenness. So it's so good to be with y'all. Thank you for participating. So let's begin this way. I'd love for each of you just to tell a little bit about your story. And for those who are listening, this is not something we have prescripted. There are a set of questions that they know I'm going to ask. So it's hopefully comes across as it really is just an organic conversation. So Barb, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your story, whatever you want us to know. Okay, so my story is that I was brought up in a home where there um, was not much hope and not much love, and um, as a result, when I, when it was time for me to get married, have a family and all that, I wanted to um, have a family that just was wonderful, that um, was happy, that were believers, that enjoyed being together and all the things. Um, and so that worked for me for about a year after our second child was born. Mm. And then I became very, very depressed, probably coming off of some postpartum problems, but um, just very depressed. And part of that for me was irritability and anger and um, uh, staying in bed and sleeping too much and all the things. Mm. So um, that went on, that started when I was about, um, well anyway, that went on for um, about eight years. Okay. And during that time, I 
and I had known the Lord since I was 14, but during that time I um, became aware that I had no connection with him anymore. I couldn't pray. I couldn't um, read the Bible for, with any meaning. Um, my sweet husband, Keith, would make me come to worship, and which was the right thing for him to do, but um, I, I didn't want to be there. I wouldn't sing. I wouldn't stand up and sing the hymns. It was... I was really in a bad way. A really dark place. Very dark. Was that, can I interrupt for a second? Uh-huh. Was that a gradual departure, you know, from that intimacy with the Lord? Um, or did you even know it was happening, or was it kind of a decision? Mm-hmm. Um, probably a little bit of both, mm-hmm. but I, I do know that in depression, um, a couple of times I've fallen back in before I can I can go there I can go away from the Lord but um, also it, it's kind of a decision because I by then by eight years I was so upset for who I was I was I, I had so much shame and so much um, Desired to be completely opposite of the way I was acting, but couldn't get there. Mm. Couldn't couldn't act the way I thought was the right thing to do. Um, so probably both. Okay. So um, as it got towards ten years, then I um, also noticed another something happening to me, and it wasn't just being depressed, but it was also being manic. Mm. And when I was manic, I was euphoric and I had a lot of things I could accomplish and I'd stay up all night and I'd be really angry and um, really irritable and um, in both of these states which is what bipolar is and that's what my diagnosis is in both of these states um, I did not give my family a good place to be Mm -hmm. and that was just so hard for me Um, so at about 10 years after I had originally started being depressed, I um, had been through three psychiatrists and many counselors and pastors and just everyone. Everyone had an opinion about what's wrong with Barb. And um, finally, uh, one day we walked, Keith found a last psychiatrist who would see us, and she, we walked in there, and 45 minutes later, she told me what was wrong with me mm-hmm. and that I had bipolar disorder. and. That's when I knew that that timing was of the Lord, that that it had to be at that certain time, um, and and He was coming through for me, but it was just not in my timing. It was in His timing. So when you heard the diagnosis, you know, you have bipolar, mm-hmm. um, what went through your heart and mind then? Were you relieved or were you I was, scared? I was relieved and happy because I wanted to know what was wrong with me and I knew that she could probably give me some medication that mm-hmm. would help in in some length of time to um, take away some of the symptoms. So once she gave you that diagnosis, you began to take medicine for bipolar. Kind of what happened after that? Okay, so, you know, I began to take it after I'd seen her a couple times and it took, took a while, um, six weeks to eight weeks for anything to kick in. Which, so, is, which normal. is normal, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, then um, I really, I, I began to notice some good changes in um, my symptoms, and that was great. But, you know, when you've had those symptoms for as long as I had, it takes a long time to undo them. And so with my family, you know, I didn't all of a sudden automatically just become this happy, wonderful, mm-hmm. loving 
person the way I always wanted to be, I, I it just took me a while, and the relationships in our family were really hard for a while. Mm -hmm. So what did you, how did you feel when that wasn't kind of corrected all of a sudden? Did, did you mention I shame earlier? I felt such shame. Mm. I felt such shame. And I, um, yeah. And it took a long time for the shame to go away. It didn't mm. just like happen overnight. It took a lot. We've talked a lot about mm -hmm. shame, haven't we, Sadie? We've talked a lot about it. <laughs> um, and it, it just took years, really, for it to go away. Shame is a a very powerful weapon of mm -hmm. the enemy. Mm -hmm. I think of the flaming darts that mm -hmm. um, are being fired at us, as Fiery scriptures darts. say. That mm -hmm. I think every one of them are dipped in shame. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's such a thing that consumes our hearts and minds to mm -hmm. fix on self mm -hmm. as opposed to the freedom that we have mm -hmm. in Christ. Okay, I'm gonna let you catch your breath for a second. Good. And let's go Water. to Sadie. Hi. So, hi, how are you? I'm just fine. So for those listening that don't know Sadie and our relationship, I was the <laughs> pastor to youth and families here uh, when I first came in 2003. And my very first trip, uh, this <laughs> young woman was on the trip and was quite a challenge um, in, in a good way. And I think maybe near the end, which means you should stay and listen, we'll tell one of those stories because yep. of news in your life that you'll share mm -hmm. kind of at the end of the podcast. Wow. So why are you here? Tell us your story. Yeah. Um, so there are so many facets of my story, but in order to be consistent and, you know, first and foremost, my story is not my story. It's his story. Um, so I'm born and raised here. I was a baby member of this church. Um, I've never known a day that I did not know who the Lord is, which is amazing. I pray that over my friends' kids, over my nieces, over all of them. Um, but I think also, you know, that was mixed with this overwhelming sense from, you know, I'd say middle school on of I know God is good and I know he's true, but he's good and true for others and not for me. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a super loving house. I'm the last of four kids. Um, I'm pretty outgoing, high energy, um, <laughs> go with the flow. Um, but my life kind of drastically changed in middle school when I had a family member dealing with deep mental illness. Um, and so that was, let's see, you know, 20 years ago, I guess. And so no one was talking about it then. Like cancer was one thing, divorce was one thing, but I don't think I told a soul um, for at least two years. Mm -hmm. um, in juxtaposition of like, my mom um, had cancer, colon rectal cancer, died of colon rectal cancer. Over the like two and a half years she had that versus like the six years my family member was dealing with mental illness. Like we had two people tell me they were praying for us and like two people bring meals during mm -hmm. that person's battle. And then my mom's <laughs> cancer, everybody brings everything. And mm -hmm. if people get cancer, like I remember praying as a young child in this church, like, Lord, can we just have like something else? Like no one understands this. Like this is scary. Like, mm -hmm. So um, I learned very early on to compartmentalize, um, to uh, be perfect on the outside. And as you all know, like, you can't walk through something and remain unchanged. Like you can't throw a rock in a pond and there not to be ripple effects. And so I was just like, let this person get better. Let this person get better in my family. Everything will be perfect again. And Everything wasn't perfect, even when they were better. I was not better. Um, mm -hmm. I started dealing with just a lot of anxiety, depression. I did not have any outlet for all of these feelings I had. Um, and, you know, I just didn't know where to go. And I'm also a very A-type and perfectionistic driven person. Um, 
I love control or perceived control, as we were talking about earlier. Um, and so late on in high school, I developed a very bad eating disorder, and that followed me all throughout college um, and post-college around five and a half years and just took away a lot of the joys of who I am intrinsically in my life because I always say, like, I deal, dealt with anorexia, and it was like, it's not gluttony of, like, eating, but it's gluttony of the mind. My mind was so fixated on that and would loop and loop and loop. And that really plays into later on in life, like by God's grace. And I had two strong women shepherd me and a great nutritionist and weeks and years of help um, until God really ripped the veil off my eyes. And he was like, do you want to be here in 10 years? And I was like, no. So I have to do the hard thing and that's get better. Um, But after really, you know, walking through recovery and that really building a precious community in my late um, to mid-20s, and then uh, I was 29. At 29, it was Memorial Day. Um, I thought I was losing my mind. I started having Mm -hmm. these thoughts that were absolutely terrifying that wouldn't go away. And we all have thoughts that are crazy, like, what if I, you know, jumped off this building? Or what if I, you know, picked up this water bottle and threw it at Mark? Like, <laughs> I don't, things like that. But like somebody, which later on I found out I have OCD. And and if you listen to the episode with Andrea Kim, she kind of breaks down. There's two different camps. There's like the actual obsessive thought and then compulsive action. And there's more just intrusive thoughts. And I started having very severe intrusive thinking on very things that were highly different and um, unlike me and was terrified, had no idea for a month what was going on. Was highly functional on the outside, but a mess. I would come home and I'd lay on the ground and Mm -hmm. not be able to move because I couldn't escape my mind. As in like when I was dealing with my eating disorder, I couldn't escape my mind or my body. Um, But by God's grace, you know, I have a dear friend who's a counselor who um, was born and raised with me and she has a great practice here in Dallas. And we were on a trip in Colorado and she was like, Sadie, I think this might be OCD, and I have somebody you should see. And so long story short, that is, and by God's grace and by means of grace of medicine, like it's been very manageable. Um, but it was another one of those moments that taught me like something's broken in you that's intrinsic, not just sin. And I think I've felt this for a long time. Like there's something wrong with you, and you're, you're not okay. You're different than everyone else mm. as opposed to the outside. And I think that's one of the biggest lies going back to shame that mm-hmm. Satan loves to use and tells me that I'm alone in what I'm dealing with and that nobody else would understand. Um, but I'd say that's like how I wrap in and encapsulate, yeah, kind of my story. Thank you. Um, I really was intrigued by the cancer, you know, your mother's cancer. Mm-hmm family member of mental illness. I hadn't really thought about the, our church does a fantastic job when somebody's died mm-hmm. to care for, or when they're sick, especially terminally sick, bringing meals. That's pretty painful though, to hear the disconnect mm-hmm. between something that we kind of understand, people die from cancer, but what do we do with mental illness? Mm-hmm. What are we supposed to do? Why, why do you think it's that way? Why for so many people, when it relates to mental illness, there's just this disconnect in terms of knowing how to care. Any thoughts? Yeah, I'd say there's like three camps of people because I've thought about this a lot. (laughs) I've been wanting to do something that talks about brain health and how the mind really matters. You either have personal experience with it, with dealing with somebody you love or know or care for. Mm -hmm. You've either dealt with it yourself or you're a professional or you feel ignorant, so four camps. Mm -hmm. And so I think people 
A, don't know and don't have a lens to understand it if they've never dealt with it. And B, it's scary and kind of nebulous. And then a lot of people, I think, just are like, get better or Mm -hmm. do this and that or- Stop it. Yeah, stop it. Smile, like go on a run or, you know, kill that thought in your brain. It's like, it's not that easy. It is a medical condition. And so um, I say, yeah, I think it's just not as, it's getting more talked about and clearly after post pandemic, Mm -hmm. so many people are struggling and everything hit the fan. But I think, you know, for a while it's just been in its infancy still like the brain is so study wise and medical wise people don't they're just now you know coming out with a lot of great research for it and mm-hmm. i think that really goes hand in hand with just people's awareness and um ability to discuss it mm-hmm. so in regards to shame you know when you yourselves have been diagnosed with something um specific you know mm-hmm. um how have you all battled through those thoughts of shame or people just don't understand, you know, um, cause they really don't. Uh, and how do you get on the other side of that or can you? So I don't think I, for a long time did a good job of trying to get on the other side of it with people because mm-hmm. if I didn't think you understood me, I was out, mm-hmm. I was out of that relationship. And, um, it just, it just, and of course that mine is a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, that was, over 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and so things have changed a lot, you know, but I still think that it was, um, that there's a lot of people maybe that we know or um, that are, that don't want to talk about or think about, you know, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so then that bundles the shame even more. And um, so, we can give ourselves shame, and then we have these other people giving ourselves shame mm-hmm. to say, read the Bible more, pray more. I mean, I, I heard that so many times, mm-hmm. and that just, so I, I don't think I answered your question, but. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think it's helpful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I kind of got on a little track there, but um, yeah. Well, I think that leads to something, though, and that is when it comes to mental health, um, depression, anxiety, all that it's in my family mm-hmm. deep in my family mm-hmm. so i've got a family member who's bipolar mm-hmm. um it's been hard and um very very hard and you know from really high school on and then anxiety and depression is also very deep um i've had one season of depression it was a mm-hmm. long time ago but it was the first time i ever experienced it it was like oh this is not just mm-hmm. a bad day okay. or a sadness there I can't breathe. I don't want to get out of bed. Um, and it was really scary. And um, that hasn't visited me again. It certainly could. But it gave me an understanding for the first time of how bad maybe my counsel had been as a young youth pastor with very little empathy and understanding that all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, this is totally different than, hey, try harder, read more scripture, <laughs> um, you know, just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's really often what happens. Did you all feel that? Did you you mentioned already, but did you feel that too, Sadie? When I went through it and mm-hmm. understood, yes, I think I. It's a double-edged sword in some ways for me because I. I can put on the part, mm-hmm. so shame for me looked like everyone's like, but you seem so fine, or you seem so great, or like you're such a high performer, um, and so, I didn't want to admit it for so long, and it, to me it was like was reinstilling this like 
fear of like being different or broken or turning into, you know, what I didn't want to be when I grew up. Um, and so I think, no, but it's given me so much more empathy and openness. And if anything, like I'm not ashamed of it in this, in my story of all these things. I think that when I meet somebody, you know, I love diving in and seeing where they are. And I think that um, has disarmed a lot of people in a lot of conversations and opened a lot of doors um, to be had. But yeah, it's definitely made me a lot more empathetic to other people having walked through things that I've walked through. Has it made you um, cynical? I mean, do you do you still look at people and wonder, you know, do they really get it? Mm -hmm. um, has it made you feel, um, you know, you said you had empathy for it, but mm -hmm. do you, you know, really wonder, I wonder if they really understand how bad it can get? That's a great question. Um, I try really hard to give people the benefit of the doubt, mm -hmm. and I'm also kind of a helper type mm -hmm. and care, and so I will reflect whatever they project out onto me and how I came across or perceived. Mm -hmm. So I'd say rather than being like cynical or angry at people, I will just um, take that onto me and say, I did something wrong here. Mm -hmm. What did I do wrong? And replay that in my mind. Whereas, no, they just don't get it. Yeah. Which is okay. You don't get it. Like, it's like the joke. It's like, you know, you have five people in this lifetime that will love you, five people that will be your mortal enemy, and the other 90%, you know, don't care. <laughs> and so. Where's that in the Bible? Uh, you know. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Genesis. <laughs> First three chapters. Maybe the broken part. Yeah. You mentioned in your story at the mm -hmm. beginning, you said it real fast because you're used to that language. I have these loops, mm -hmm. you know. What do you mean by that? Explain what a loop is. So a loop is a thought that it comes in and it's shocking to you. And so it kind of, so when I talk to like, you know, how are your thoughts doing with my psychiatrist or counselor? It's like in intensity, frequency, and duration. And so a loop will be highly intense all the time and will last for a long time. Like you can't get out of this thought pattern and it leads to another one. Um, both for like me with an eating disorder and, you know, obsessing over different things mm -hmm. and then dealing with OCD and having very scary and terrifying thoughts that wouldn't be in my normal life. Like since they were so scary and terrifying, like somebody else would be able to laugh that off. But my brain tries to figure out this very nebulous gray thing and take it very black or white. It's all or nothing thinking, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, if this, then this. And I have to make it rational and I have to figure out a solution to it when you can't. It's just a very abstract thought and it's very gray. And so my brain has always really worked all or nothing. I'm a catastrophizer. I'm like, if I'm sick, I'm like getting COVID or cancer or if I'm, you know, they like me or they don't like me. They're getting all these things. And so um, that's kind of, you know, as I've learned to grow up and as I've learned to deal with now OCD and like realize like, oh, I have some had some of these thoughts since I was very little. Mm -hmm. um, it's easier to recognize and, and distract and to like you know, block them out in some ways with various tools that I've picked up along the way. But Can you share some of those tools? Yeah, I'd say um, some are visual. I have very silly like visual tools. Like if I have a thought or and just knowing like, okay, that's like not of me. I am like fearfully and wonderfully made. Like that's not a thought that it says who I am, what I am, or 
reminds me of whose I am. Um, and then I'd say, you know, some other tools is also just distraction, as silly as that sounds. Like I got very into Audible when I, um, you know, really struggled that summer um, with OCD and I was like, okay, I just need to, you know, think about something else or distract myself. Change the channel. Change the channel, literally. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, distract. Um, and then, you know, really not. So somebody with OCD, the more you obsess over it and the more you give that thought pattern, the more the wheels and trenches come deeply ingrained. It's like a dog running laps in the backyard, you know, mm -hmm. their path will be um, rewired. You just have to kind of shift the thought. You have to change it to something else mm -hmm. like fast. So how long did it take you once you discovered or were diagnosed with OCD to begin to see that change? Mm. Um, you know, it wasn't a perfect process. I'd probably say three to four months. Mm -hmm. um, and with the help of medicine, and I know Barb and I have talked about, like we've had to go through different trials of different things. Some things don't work. Like that's another hard thing going back to like still the brain and, and research on it and brain medicine is still in its infancy. We don't, <laughs> there's no perfect mm -hmm. solution and cure to it. Um, but I'd say, you know, through that and through therapy and just being able to give myself grace and like learning various triggers um, if I'm tired, if I'm stressed out, mm -hmm. if um, I'm not sleeping, all those things, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to increase the likelihood of me having those thoughts. So because we live in a <clears throat> broken world, fallen world, mm -hmm. sin has impacted everything. Um, not everybody's going to necessarily have the same specific struggle that you all have had or that I've had, but we know we're going to all have struggles. And one thing that's in common with all of them is going to be shame. Mm -hmm. The thought that I may be the only one that struggles with this or I can't let anybody know I struggle with this. Would you all agree with that? Oh, yeah. So what would you say to someone who's listening right now, watching right now, um, whether it's specifically related to your story or not, um, but they know there's something wrong mm -hmm. and they, um, they don't know what to do. What encouragement mm -hmm. would you give them? That's for both of you. That's a great question. First. Um, Go ahead. So one of the things I would say is find a group that you can feel safe in that maybe has other people that are struggling too. And maybe some of those people have already learned about God's um, mercy and grace, but maybe others haven't. And that way, um, you know, it, at PCPC, we have redemption groups. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, part of that is a great story about the Israelites and how they kept messing up all the time, um, which is how we all are. But then the other part is being in a group. Um, and that's where Sadie and I really mm -hmm. got connected again. And, that was uh, in the redemption group? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, I think if you can find, or if you can't find a group, find three friends or two yeah. friends or one friend that can speak to you and in love and listen to you. What what happens in a group or with friends when you begin to talk about it, you know what what what's the benefit of it? I know I know it's important, but tell us why. What happens? So, and piggybacking off the first question, so I'd say like, whoever is listening to this, and I felt this, like the weight of dealing with it by yourself mm -hmm. is so heavy, mm -hmm. and if you are able to verbalize or even just ask for help, I am horrible at asking for help. Horrible um, until it's like very bad. <laughs> And I'm like, people are like, oh, you need help. Okay, great. Here, now I'll actually really help you. But I'm that weight, I mean, just being relieved by telling one person, by telling a group. But I think, you know, there is um, 
a beauty when it comes to whether they understand, can empathize or not, but somebody to meet you in the middle. I always say like friendships or relationships should be like, you know, a football field. Like sometimes you have to spend time in your friend's end zone when they're struggling and sometimes they're down in your end zone, but most of it's played at the 50-50 or the 50-yard line. Um, But I'd say just having somebody in your court and in your camp to listen, to hear, to speak truth when you can't speak truth to yourself is essential. Not not everybody's good at listening, right? right? Listening's hard. And so you might be in a relationship with someone that you think should be able to do that. Could Mm -hmm. be a boyfriend, girlfriend, could be a husband Mm -hmm. or wife or a parent, but it's just not there. They might even be the ones who are like, stop it. Yeah. Just think differently. So what encouragement would you give people in regards to how important it is to call someone, reach out to someone, especially if you don't have that, even though maybe you think you should. It's it's essential. It will save your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, recognize the people, and it, it comes by trial and error, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Because there's been people that I'm like, okay, I'll tell them something, and they're like, okay, moving on to the next thing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, just that ship didn't land there. Yeah. So you know the people where it's going to land, um, but it's essential. One person will make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, we were made for community mm-hmm. like our lives were not made to live alone and in this world where everything is very isolated on one phone or one device or we can have a perceived illusion of life here or there we can compare just based off of you know images or text mm-hmm. or whatever it's even more isolating mm-hmm. as much as people say we are so connected in in community it's a lie i think in a lot of ways so we're we're one church doing this podcast we know because of the nature of this medium it could be heard or seen by people all over the world i mean which is great yeah where should people look for that help you know at pcpc we want to be a church that opens mm-hmm. its doors to all and we want you to find community here whether it's your redemption group sunday morning community young adults you know whatever age and stage of life um, but it doesn't necessarily happen easily. It mm-hmm. isn't just say one, oh, I'm here and I feel loved. It takes time. That's what you're saying. Yeah. But what about people that, that aren't in a church, don't have a church, could be somewhere else in the world? What would you say to them? Where should they turn? I would say that it might, it might surprise them where a listener, lover of them comes from. Mm-hmm. Like maybe even within their extended family. Mm-hmm. Um, that's often good because then you're, kind of coming from the same viewpoint and mm-hmm. um, but I I think sometimes you just have to look really hard and mm-hmm. um, Keith and I my husband we had, he was such a great person to walk through all this with me um, but there was no one for him mm-hmm. there was no we looked and looked and looked for you know a man that had also had a wife who had been bipolar or walked mm-hmm. through deep, deep depression or something so sometimes I think you you can't give up. You have mm-hmm. to keep looking. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, you can't give up. I mean, it's really easy to feel defeated or say, mm-hmm. I'm just not even going to try. I don't mm-hmm. even know. Or if you've hit some, you know, brick walls. But I'd say like, there are so another beautiful thing about being very connected and having, you know, so many mm-hmm. resources at our thumbs. There's everything from online help to people you can talk to virtually to, um just being able to google like where you are and something that you feel like you're dealing with like where's a group that i can go to and maybe that's mm-hmm. not going to be the place but maybe that is the place you find one mm-hmm. person i remember when i first moved back to dallas and was 
dealing after college and dealing with my eating disorder, I went to Watermark to their like celebrate recovery program, which, mm-hmm. you know, it was what it was. But, you know, I connected to one girl who's still my lifelong friend and mm-hmm. I live, she moved um, and got married and I have lived in her place since she moved out. And so it's just funny, you know, it's not always going to be a home run, but there might be one person. And so it's just sometimes you just have to show up and that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So recognize that, be proud of yourself and give yourself a lot of grace. Um, but show up or, you know, search that out. I know for both of you, one way or another, you talked about, um, you know, kind of feeling the distance of God. Mm -hmm. Um, You talked about it just kind of got shut off. You know, (laughs) your husband, Keith, continued to bring you to church, which he, you know, you said he should have done, which I'm grateful for. Sadie, you talked about feeling like God's good for everyone else or good to everyone else but me. So when an individual's trying to move towards community or find someone to help, and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Isn't it easy for them to feel like God doesn't care? Oh, yeah. That so, how do you speak to that person who's like, I can't find community, or nobody really understands me, mm-hmm. and how that affects the way they view God? What would you say to them? I say that's like the hardest junction of. I have several friends going through stages right now where they're just like. I don't feel like he's listening or he cares mm-hmm. or is answering any of my prayers. Um, but I'd say like, if faith is something of, and you are seeking the Lord, he is near and he mm-hmm. does know you inside and out. Um, and by his grace, the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf in words you can't even understand. And so just taking heart in that. Mm-hmm. And then again, like whether you have other people to do it or whether you don't believe it, but you can speak truth over yourself and writing it down. Just like, but this I recall to mind and therefore I have hope that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so that's that, that actually can become a healthy loop. Can it mm-hmm. where the, and I'm not trying to be cheesy or shallow, no, but it's God's word is living and active. Yeah. And even if you don't feel like it, it's the repetition of that mm-hmm. promise, mm-hmm. you know, because they both just quoted scripture, the same scripture, which I thought was really beautiful. Yeah. That's really important, isn't it? No, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it is. And it's just, I mean, we are our biggest advocate or detriment. We preach over ourselves and tell ourselves things all the time. And so if I'm telling myself, I may feel that God isn't good for me. I may feel that he doesn't love me. I may feel that his promises towards me are not yes and amen, but nope and nope. Um, <laughs> but it is like I have to preach that over myself. Or if I do have someone, who I'm like, I'm believing this and I can't believe the truth right now. So will you mm-hmm. preach the truth over me or pray it over me? Mm. Um, I mean, that's, it's just a very hard place to be in. And so I'm sorry to anyone who feels like they are in that place. but. Yeah. You're not alone. Yeah. But can I speak to kind of the other mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. going in that way? I think people think it's a lot harder to come alongside someone that is having mental health problems mm-hmm. than it than it has to be. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think it can be very rough, but I do think that you can. Um, there's things that you can do. I mean, even if you wrote someone a card once a week or a note once a week, mm-hmm. that would be huge mm-hmm. they would feel the love of Christ through that mm-hmm. um, and I I think that just by um, you know we're we are comforted by Christ to be a comfort to others mm-hmm. and so he'll 
he will give you the strength to do that and in whatever way you can. Yeah. So I was thinking as you talked about writing a note to someone, what should someone put in that note? Mm -hmm. I would imagine the temptation for somebody might be, I need to write the perfect thing that's going to fix them. And that would not be right. You know, so what, what should somebody pin? What should they text? You know, if they have that kind of relationship, what, what would be the thing you would have wanted to receive and what would you not want to have received? I, I think that just saying, you know, even if you put three lines, you know, I love you. I've been thinking of you. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that would have been wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. Which really is God's word to us too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm leading you. Even if you don't, you don't feel like it, I'm with you and I will never forsake you. Mm-hmm. That's Joshua 1, really, in mm-hmm. summary. That's really helpful, Barb. Mm-hmm. How about you, Sadie? I'd say like in any rough season, whether it's you know a, a letter or a text, it's not necessarily the words, but it's how people show up and who's there and who's present. And you can be present in a lot of different mediums. It could be a letter, it could be a text. Um, but just even showing up, like it's not, I'm, I may not remember those three lines, but I'll remember that you wrote me a note or mm-hmm. that you shot mm-hmm. me a text at the perfect timing or you just came and sat on the couch with me and mm-hmm. watched, watched a ship. Yeah, squid games or something like that. So somebody's in a bad place, they may not have the energy to even acknowledge the text mm-hmm. or the yeah. note. Mm-hmm. So if a person's sending that, what should their expectation be and what should they do if there is no response? I'd say give it over to the Lord and be like, Lord, I'm going to keep pressing in and I may not get a response. I may not get a response in my whole life. Mm-hmm. I may not get a response in it for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a part of being a good friend, especially to people who are struggling in this area. I think for a lot of people, they don't like to feel awkward. They don't mm-hmm. like to feel like uh, I'm overstepping. But what I'm hearing you saying is consistency. Yep. Just continue to do it. And that will be a blessing eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to you. I mean, it'll be a blessing yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's good. That's really helpful. Yeah. So Sadie, you're about to embark on a brand new mm-hmm. season of life. You just told me about this about 10 or 15 minutes ago. Yep. And um, so talk about that. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I'm 34 years old and single. I've lived in Dallas basically my whole life other than um, going to college uh, in Waco, Texas. So lived in Texas my whole life. Um, By God's grace, I found a job uh, around six and a half years ago that I adore in a company that I still adore to this day, even though my last day was last Friday. I work in finance and I'm a recruiter, so I get to deal with very interesting people day in and day out and, and just talk to people. I'm a, I'm a pastor and I get to deal with very yeah. interesting people day in and day out too. Yeah, it's like, it's like matchmaking, you know, kind of, and, and all the different things. Um, so, you know, for, I'd say for the past you know two and a half years, I've kind of had this itch. I, you know, going back to kind of one of the themes of my life of like, I feel like I'm, you know, not doing what everyone else is doing. I'm not married and have 2.75 kids. I'm not buying a house here. I'm not doing this and that. And I kept waiting for a change to happen or I was praying for a change. And I honestly thought that would be something very normal here in Dallas, whether I was buying a house pre-pandemic or finding you know, a boyfriend or husband or whatever. Um, but I was on a trip to New York with my current company this past summer. And 
was like, got on the plane, said, I love this city, we'll never move here. And a job opportunity opened up and I'm moving to New York City in four days, five days. <laughs> so next Wednesday, uh -huh. you're heading to New York City. Yeah. It's big. It's, it's wild. And what's that doing to you, kind of your identity, your, your emotions? What kind of thoughts are you going through? I mean, it. <clears throat> our lives were not made to be linear and they were not made to be carbon copies of each other. Yet that's a very easy thing to believe, especially where we live and especially in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And having grown up here my whole life, I kind of feel like I'm not the spring chicken moving to New York in her 20s and then coming. Like, I feel like I'm doing the opposite of what everyone else is. And so it was a, a long barrier and a really hard yes for me to make. Um, a, because it's terrifying and I'm stepping literally into so many unknowns and I love control or perceived control. I'm not unhappy here in Dallas. I love my community. My whole family's here. Um, and I love the job that I'm leaving. Uh, but yet God's manna and breadcrumbs were so throughout this entire process in the most unique and funny ways that it was green lights to go. And I, you know, I, it's going to be hard. When I get up there, I feel like I can compartmentalize things really well. Even right now, I have a million and one things I could be doing, but I'm just going to have to keep remembering, like, he's provided before, he'll provide again. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, you know, I have such strong friends, community, family, co old coworkers, new coworkers who believe in me and who have been excited. Mm -hmm. I thought when I told people I was doing this, they'd be like, you can't do that. <laughs> no, no, like, that's not fun. No, you can't do that. <laughs> and they've everyone's been excited and said like this is good step into it and so that's been very comforting to hear and i'm just gonna have to keep remembering those things um as it gets nuts and the weather is horrible <laughs> and so sadie you and i met um in 2003 nuts. in march yes. you were a freshman I was going on my very first trip with PCPC. I was the pastor of youth and families, as I mentioned earlier. You were a student. We had about, I don't know, 20, 25 people going on this trip. Mm -hmm. And Sadie, um, I knew like to play jokes right away. And I said, I don't play fair. <laughs> do you remember that? Yep. You can do anything you want, but I don't play fair. Mm -hmm. We were at dinner. What was the name of the place we were having dinner? With I don't the group? Know. Some Italian a, place. It was an Italian place. Yeah. And what'd you do to me? Well, you were like, I dare you to flick the sour cream at me. Or I, I was like, I don't, I don't even know how it came up. And you were like, I dare you. And I was like, okay. And I just flicked it right at your face. And it was a lot. It was like a blob <laughs> of sour cream. And I, I just, I thought my threat would be enough and it wasn't. No. And I've been a youth pastor a long time already. It just pff, drilled me. I was like, wow, I really love this kid. Impulse, She's be impulse, impulse control. But then what happened? You got up to go to the restroom. Mm-hmm. And what happened? So it's cold. We were there for spring break. And so you put your hands in your pockets mm -hmm. because it's cold outside. Yeah. So we get up to go, put on my red pea coat, put my hands in my pockets, and there's like a tissue full of sour cream. <laughs> I like bring my hand out. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And, you, and I just see your eyes and your smile. I was and really happy because <laughs> I don't play fair. Yeah. And that began a great relationship mm -hmm. to the point where four or five days later, you're like, okay, we need to stop. You know, one of yeah. us is going to get hurt or go to jail. Um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's it's always been fun. It's yeah. always been fun. She was also one of our children's favorite babysitters. I I won't say favorite because Virginia Hawkins uh, might be listed. Yeah. Yeah. Virginia, yeah. so um, 
but we've, we've loved you for a long time. And um, I'm excited for you. I really am. Yeah. I'm really grateful for you all's willingness to be as vulnerable as you've been. Uh, it's really, really important for people to realize we all are in deep need of a Savior. And only He can be the Savior He is. Mm-hmm. And um, as we get ready to close, I'd love to talk about a couple of things. One, for the person who thinks um, maybe they're already a believer, they believe, they believe in Christ, I just need more faith. And if I had more faith, I wouldn't need medicine. I wouldn't need counseling. Um, or I, I would just need counseling and maybe not medicine, even though they're saying that. Um, or I can control these things. What, what would you say to them if that's really a hindrance in their life towards getting better? I would say it's not about your faith. Mm. Um, if you are really feeling as poorly as it sounds like you are, then, um, you know, you can't make it happen because of your faith. You can't make yourself better because of your faith, but God can make you better because he loves and cares for you. Mm -hmm. It's really well said. It's his faithfulness to us. And again, our surrender to him, coming back to that every day, just you're everything I need. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sadie? What would you say? Yeah, I would say, you know, yeah, it's not about your faith. Um, it is truly about his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you were severely dehydrated, you wouldn't be able to get to a functional place by chugging water. You would need an IV. And sometimes that's medicine gets you from a very, very dry mm-hmm. drought place to a stable place. Mm-hmm. Then to really be able to tackle your problems. You may need it for a season. You may need it for your lifetime. But that's not about you. He's given those means of grace to us. Yeah. Um, and they can be abused. And I get people that you know go off the deep end on either way of the spectrum. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. balance. But just like anything in life, like um, you know, it it is something that has been given to us for a reason and a purpose. Um, and you know, like I said, either for a season or for a lifetime. Like only you and the Lord can deal with that with professional help. Yeah. So, And if you haven't seen Andrea Kim's interview, Mm -hmm. um, it was one prior to this one. She has a lot to offer in terms of insight on those things as it relates to medicine and faith too. It's really, really powerful. I would encourage you. And Pat Hobins as well, uh, I think is very helpful. One thing Pat said that you guys have done really well, you've modeled it and you've even shared it today, is just the importance of community. Uh, we've talked more probably about being the individual going and seeking community, mm-hmm. but what would you say to individuals who are part of a community, uh, part of a church, how do we need to be looking out for one another and caring for one another? Pat did a great job mm-hmm. talking about that. What's your perspective on that? How could we be better at caring for one another? I think just, um, I think this is big in educating people mm-hmm. about um people's hurts and what they're going through because then they the community can feel better about coming around them mm-hmm. um, so I think that that could be a, a big thing yeah I'll say also like look at your sphere of influence whether you live in an apartment and mm-hmm. there are people in your apartment or co-workers or people on your block or a new family like open up your table or open up your front lawn mm-hmm. for playing kickball or 
just when you say we're playing kickball I don't know playing kickball. <laughs> you never know what you say it's like a ring dodgeball it's a kickball why not um but I, yeah all the things um but I'd say you know and in terms of that just being intentional it's not hard you don't have to be Martha Stewart you don't have to have a budget of xyz you can meet at the church playground you can have coffee with a, a co-worker you could do different things like that and I'd say something that I've really been praying recently is just, Lord, would you give me eyes for people around me and a heart for them? Mm-hmm. Um, because I get so distracted and caught up in all my own everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I mean, community can come organically, but it can come even together more so when you're intentional about it. Mm-hmm. The ministry of presence, mm-hmm. you know, really also being present mm-hmm. and available, but then when you're, with people being present in that, which is not easy. You know, it's easy to be distracted by so many things. Yeah. I think that's really important. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you guys would, you know, like to share? Um, we're, we're in no rush. Hmm. I mean, you touched on it earlier. I'd say like every time in my struggles and my journeys, I would hear stories like this or feel like people are so brave to get out there and share and, I'm like, well, they're on the other side. They made it. Like, life is great for them and perfect now. And, like, it's not. Like, I'm going to struggle with new things, different things, unknown things for the rest of my life because that's this world. And, like, yes, I have learned to use tools. I have community. I have, um, you know, practices in place that help safeguard me and, and can be with me towards whatever might come at the door. But I'd say to anyone, like, we're never going to arrive on this earth, mm-hmm. um, but there is always hope and you do get better. I'm like, maybe not better is the right word, but stronger and have more tools in your in your toolbox per se um, to deal with various challenges, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so I just, it's not all illustrious and easy now because we've done all the dirty hard work. Like it's always a work in progress. And that's the beauty of having ongoing community, ongoing resources, being plugged in with people, staying intentional. So. Yeah, I think about really the t- yeah the testimonies that we so often hear, sometimes probably not intentionally, but we feel the pressure to make sure it's tied up in a pretty bow, like I was this, now I'm this. Mm-hmm. Well, truth is, you were dead in sin. We mm-hmm. all were. Now you're alive in Christ. That's factually true if you're a believer right but the journey between here and heaven Mm -hmm. the already and the not yet is very real and therefore you know there are going to be challenges always but i i say i I hear your courage i hear your hope i hear your faith Mm -hmm. in that like Mm -hmm. you're and you're about to embark on something that you couldn't have imagined not that many (laughs) months ago right literally not yeah two months ago literally Mm -hmm. but you're pursuing that with honesty mm-hmm. aware of more than anything god's faithfulness to you he's leading you he's with you he'll never forsake you mm-hmm. that's good anything barb you would add well i just keep thinking that most people that have been through something hard um are able to be compassionate and mm-hmm. um, merciful and mm-hmm. i've been a member of several groups that are Everybody doesn't have the same problem, yeah. you know. It just it's just they're getting together and um, listening to each other and being kind to each other and encouraging one another and showing people where there's hope. I mean, but it doesn't all have to be all bipolar people or all 
OCD people or, you know, whatever it is. It can be lots of different people. And then that makes it, I think it makes it so people can, it doesn't even cost anything. Just gather the people and, you know, be together. We can easily make it more complicated than mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. You know, in visiting with Pat and with Andrea and other counselors that I know, um, because I'm often referring people, you know, mm -hmm. for more specialized help and care, um, they're booked. Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. post, not post, we're still in it, but, you know, just the craziness of the last 18 to 24 months. It's really, really hard. Everybody's on a waiting list, whatever. And while this has always been true, that the body of Christ needs to be present and engaging, it's even more so now. And you know, we really need to be ready, equipped to, to pray what you just said you were going to pray, Sadie. Open my eyes to see people who have needs. And what an incredible privilege God's given us to engage people that way. And for anybody that's listening or watching, if you need help, we want you to call. Um, you can reach out to our church. You can go to our website for resources. Uh, you can um, call for uh, a meeting with one of our pastors, one of our counselors. There's so many things that we'd love to offer you. And there's many churches in this city and all around the globe that, you know, can do the same thing and pointing you to Christ and the love of Christ. Um, I'm very grateful for both of you and your willingness to take time to share. Um, it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. And um, I'm just very, very thankful to the Lord for y'all. I'm more thankful for you to do yeah. this with us. Uh, <laughs> amen. Well, tr truth is, this was really born out of the idea, a, a burden of one of our members and her husband. And um, this is why it launched, uh, mm -hmm. because she wanted to see people who are experiencing truly desperate times have a place, even within our church, mm -hmm. to see that there is a way for help, a pathway for help uh, in the name of our Lord and Savior, in Him, mm -hmm. Christ Jesus. So, bless you both. Thank you. Thank right. you. Uh -huh. Thanks for watching. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Deep Light Podcast from Park City's Presbyterian Church. We would love for you to be our guest this Sunday morning as we gather together for worship at 8, 9.30, or 11 a.m. We are located in the Uptown Dallas area at the corner of Oaklawn Avenue and Wycliffe Avenue. To find out more, please visit pcpc.org.